If you have your Bibles, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we're in Acts chapter 14, if you want to turn there. Uh, And and in looking at this missionary work of Paul and and Barnabas, it reminded me of uh, a missionary this this last week. Uh, She was born uh, Anne E. Suk, uh, was her Korean name, but uh, she's probably more, she's better known as Esther Ann Kim. Uh, She was born in 1908 in Korea, two years later, Uh, the empire of Japan annexed Korea, making it a part of uh, Japan for the next 35 years. And uh, Koreans were, they were forced to worship uh, shrines. They're forced to pray to Japanese gods, to uh, dead emperors, to um, their war heroes. Uh, And those who refused to uh, were often thrown in prison. So Esther Ann Kim, her family was divided. Her mother uh, loved Jesus, uh, walked, walked after Jesus. Her father's family uh, worshipped idols. Uh, they, they practiced idol worship. And, and she could not help but notice as she uh, looked at, at, at the people that, that worshipped these idols, how miserable they were. And, and then she would look at her mom and see uh, the peace uh, that her mom had, the joy, the happiness in her mother. And her mother uh, told her this, and I don't want to mess it up, so I'll read it. She said, as you can see, idols have no power at all. The Lord Jesus is the only one who can give us true power and happiness and peace. And it was seeing her mother's faith in Jesus that eventually led Esther and Kim to trust in Jesus. Uh, there's a ton to her story, but I just want to zoom in on, on, on a couple things. So she went away to Japan for her education. She came back to Korea uh, to teach music at this little Christian school. Um, and one day, uh, Japanese leaders threatened their school. Uh, they, they threatened to close it down. They threatened uh, even to torture anyone that would not bow down um, to this Japanese sun goddess, and, and they marched all the students out um, before this, this statue and, and, and all the, the teachers and the staff, and everyone bowed down except for Esther and Kim. Uh, she was immediately arrested, but miraculously, uh, she escaped, and she went into hiding. And, and what first attracted me to her story was I, I, heard, uh, I heard someone talking about how she prepared um, to go back to prison. She was convinced that, that she would go back to prison. Um, so she knew that she would have no access to a Bible in prison, so she committed to memory uh, over 100 chapters of Scripture uh, as well as a, a ton uh, of hymns so that she could sing to the Lord. She prepared her body. Uh, she would fast um, from, from food and water for days at a time. Uh, she would force herself to sleep in extremely cold temperatures to get her body ready. The, the craziest thing to me, though, was that she, um, to prepare herself for the, the, the food, if you call it that, that she would get in prison, she would, she would eat, while she was still free, she would eat rotten food uh, to prepare her stomach to deal with uh, life in prison. Well, fast forward one day, uh, a man comes to her, another believer, he says, uh, I think we have been called to go to uh, proclaim Christ in Japan. And she, 
She was not excited for this. She was very hesitant. She spent the next three days uh, praying, fasting, reading scripture. Um, and, and then she was convinced that, in fact, uh, God was calling her to go to Japan. And in Japan, they uh, publicly called out the Japanese government to repent, to withdraw from Korea, and, and to examine whether their idol worship was true or whether Christianity was, in fact, true. And they were immediately arrested. Uh, she spent the next six years in prison from 1939 to 1945 when she was finally freed. Uh, and, and the conditions were as bad as she had imagined, exactly what she was preparing for. They, they were often uh, hungry. They, they faced uh, extremely cold temperatures. They were, they were yelled at and, and abused by uh, just angry, hateful um, female jailers. Um, but the Lord was at work. Uh, the Lord brought some of those very jailers uh, to, to come to love um, Esther and Kim, and eventually, as they talked with her and heard about her faith in Jesus, they, they came to know Christ. Uh, and, and she, throughout her time in prison, uh, just prayed and prayed and prayed. She cried out to God for strength, right? She knew, she said, God, I'm, I'm weak. I'm incapable of doing any of this apart from your help. Um, and those prayers were answered, right? Many, many women, fellow prisoners, and like I said, guards came to trust in Jesus. Uh, she was incredible at loving the unlovely. There was uh, one fellow prisoner, a 20-year-old Chinese woman uh, who was there for uh, brutally murdering her husband, and she was several cells down, and she could hear at night this woman just moaning, and she'd heard that this woman was supposedly insane, and Esther started praying, Lord, will you bring her to my cell? I want to tell her about Jesus. Um, and eventually that prayer was answered. She came into her cell, and, and uh, this, this woman um, right away tried to bite every uh, fellow prisoner in that cell and then ended up in this wrestling match with Esther and Kim until the 20-year-old the woman was exhausted and fell asleep. And Esther and Kim went over and, and that whole night put her cold feet against her chest to try and, and warm this, this woman's feet uh, over the, the days, weeks, and months, she shared food with her. She combed this, this woman's tangled hair. She massaged her body, and she told her about Jesus. And, and over time, this woman's heart softened to Christ, and eventually she came to trust in Jesus. And the, the jailers that, that hated Esther and Kim, man, they noticed they noticed that the change that had happened in this woman. Uh, anyway, she, Esther and Kim, uh, she has an autobiography. It's called uh, If I Perish. It is, it is well worth it. But, but an amazing, uh, amazing person who, who wanted others to hear about Christ, to, to receive Christ as Lord. A woman who knew that it was only through God uh, strengthening her that, that she would be able to speak about him. So we come to Acts 14. If you were with us last week, um, uh, Paul and Barnabas, uh, they're there speaking with the crowds. Paul uh, heals uh, a lame man by the power of God. The crowds freak out. They want to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas because they believed that they were the gods come down, Zeus and Hermes. Um, somehow they convinced the crowds not to do this um, 
because Paul and Barnabas, they, they were not there to receive worship. They, they wanted God. They wanted Yahweh, the one who, who deserves worship, to be worshiped. Um, you might remember that, that Paul and Barnabas were sent by their church from Antioch to be missionaries, right? Uh, that, that is what they went to do. Uh, so today's passage gives us even, uh, it gives us insight into what missionaries do. And I don't mean like on the average day, what do they do, but, but what's their, their purpose? Uh, there's a, a New Testament scholar, um, Eckerd, um, I'm going to butcher his last name. It's either Schnabel or Schnabel, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, New Testament scholar, written multiple books um, on missions. And uh, here, here's what he wrote is the, the missionary task. And I believe this will be up on the screen. He said, uh, a missionary's task is to communicate the gospel to those who have not heard or accepted it. Communicate a new way of life that replaces the old behavioral patterns uh, of the converts and then integrate converts into the church. Right? So they, they preach the gospel, they help grow disciples and, and they get them into the, the church, they get them plugged into the local church. And we really see all of this in this passage. Um, plus we, we see the establishment of new churches because this missionary work that Paul and Barnabas are doing, it's, it's where no one has spoken the gospel, right? This is pioneer missionary work. So churches had to be established. So let's pick up in verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they have believed. And we'll stop there and pick up the rest in a bit. But Jewish people came down uh, and they took that passionate energy of the crowd that we read about last week, right? The crowds that were ready to sacrifice these oxen to Paul and Barnabas as, as if they are, are real gods. And the Jews, they, they convinced them, they redirected that energy into killing Paul, right? That, that he was this threat to their way of life, to what they believed. So they pick up stones and they start they start chucking these stones at Paul, uh, trying to kill him, right? Hitting him over and over again with stones. I can't help but, but wonder, that did Paul think about Stephen, right? The, the first martyr who, who was stoned, and, and Paul was there approving of his death. Uh, this, this kind of death for us, I assume for all of us, it, it is really unfathomable. That, that this could even happen, and, and I won't get graphic at all, but what a horrible way uh, to be killed. And at some point, as you're hit by stone after stone, I'm, I'm sure that you, you just want it to be over one way or another. Well, the crowd believed that it was over. They, they thought Paul was dead, drug his body out of the city, and then were told that the believers uh, from that city, they surrounded him. And that's really all Luke tells us. But you can imagine the, the shock and the horror as you're looking at Paul, right? the one who, 
who, who spoke the gospel, who preached the gospel, explained the good news to you. Like he, he's, he, he was the one used by God so that you could come to, to know Jesus. And, and here he is, he, he looks like he's dead. And my suspicion is that they began to pray because that's what the early church seemed to do at every turn. They, they prayed. And, and whether they prayed or not, I don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. But, but he tells us then that Paul got up. He raises up, says he spent the night in the city, and then they moved on, him and Barnabas, um, to Derby. right? They moved on probably because they just tried to kill him. And even though he just about died, he, he gets up, he moves on to the next city because there's missions work to do. Right? This, is, this is what he's been commissioned by the church in Antioch to go do. So in Derby, we hear that many, many more come to know Christ. And, and how did this happen? Well, verse 21 tells us. They preach the gospel, right? The gospel has to be spoken. And, and that might seem obvious. Actually, I hope that is obvious to us, that, that the gospel has to be shared. There's no missions work without the gospel being spoken, right? It has to be shared. It has to be explained. God has uh, so designed it that the good news is told. So good works are, are, are uh, important, right? They're, they're, uh, they're, they're necessary, and, and they should accompany the gospel, right? There should be acts of mercy. Um, we, we should do them, but we can't confuse uh, those as, as what will save someone, right? They might, help, they might aid in the gospel message, but, but they don't save, right? Hopefully they'll lead to uh, opportunities for the gospel to be shared, I was uh, playing pickleball with, uh, with a woman I'd never met before several weeks ago. We got, you just kind of, you go to the courts and you get paired up with someone. So I'd never met her before and, and we're playing and we, we introduced ourselves to each other and I'm pretty sure we were, we were getting beat pretty bad. Um, and, and there's this one moment where guy hits the ball and I like have to go down to one knee to, to get it. And, and then I try to get up, but he hits it again. He's just pinning me to the ground, right? So, and I, they scored on me, it didn't even work. Um, and and the, the, my partner, this woman, she jokes about how we just met and I'm already proposing to her. And I'm, <laughs> it's funny, but I'm also not super comfortable, right? Um, and I think she could tell I wasn't like really comfortable with that. So she said, just so you know, I'm married. And I'm like, me too. <laughs> and, and then she said, I'm married to a woman. And I said, me too. <laughs> uh, and then we, we kept playing, right? And it, and it, it, uh, it was less awkward, and it got better. And, and I, and there's no shock to you, I just talk all the time. When I play pickleball, I'm just saying so much. I'm like, good shot, good try. Like, I'm trying to be positive all the time. And she looks at me at one point, and she said, Greg, you're so encouraging. What do you do for work? Which I just thought that was an interesting, like, connection. And I'm like, well, all right, Lord. Uh, I told her, I'm a pastor. And she looked at me, like a little stunned, I think, and she said, huh, that makes sense. And, 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 and I don't know if it really did to her, but that's what she said. And, and so I ended up, next time I played pickleball, I saw her again, and we, we played again. Um, uh, I didn't get to talk to her about Jesus yet, right? Like, she thinks I'm a super nice person. That's great. Um, she's never going to get saved because I tell her in pickleball, hey, that was a good shot. 
right? Like eventually she needs to hear about Jesus. And, and whether that's me getting the opportunity to do that or, or someone else, uh, she needs to hear about Jesus, right? Our, our good works, uh, the, we need to let our light shine before men for sure, including the, the things that we do. But we also, we're longing for the opportunity to speak about Jesus, right? Missionaries, we see this, Paul and Barnes, they preach the gospel Paul was committed to proclaiming the good news, right? The, the rest of verse 21 tells us they, they, he heads back. Uh, him and Barnabas head back to Lystra and Iconium and, and to Antioch. And, and you, you get Iconium and, and Antioch, but man, why would you go back to, to the place where they tried to kill you? Well, because this wasn't, this wasn't some drive-by missions trip. Right, there were new brothers and sisters in Christ that, that needed help, right? They wanted to help grow these brothers and sisters. They, they wanted to help get them, uh, they wanted to help get churches established and, and get leaders in there. So they were, they were helping out these new converts to live out this, this new way of life in Christ, right? They were, they were, they were helping them re replace the, the old self, the old way of living with, with now putting on the new self and living in Christ. And we see this in verse 22, they're strengthening the souls of the disciples. They're, they're encouraging them to continue in the faith. They're reminding them, man, life in Christ will be hard. The strengthening the souls, this is a, a sustained effort, right? They're there with them for a while. This involves certainly teaching them from the scriptures, helping them to be rooted and grounded in God's word. I'm sure that this involved plenty of, uh, of individual conversations together, right? We might, we might think of them as like counseling sessions. I guarantee that, that they prayed together, they had meals together, right? They, they just spent time saturated with, with these new believers, raising them up, strengthening them, growing them them. And are, are we doing that with others, right? We might not be overseas uh, doing missions, but, but are we aiming to do that here with brothers and sisters in Christ in, in our own church? Are we intentionally looking after others, right? Are we attempting to strengthen the souls of other believers in Christ? I also just, we got to pause for a second and ask, how is your soul right now? Or how, how are you in this season. And, and maybe for some, I hope this is the case for at least some, that, man, your soul just feels healthy. It feels like it's firing on all cylinders, right? Maybe you see God at work. Maybe, maybe he is using you in, in some ways that, I mean, you've never even been used by him before. You, you've got a steady diet of God's word in your life, right? You, you've, got, you've got lists of people that you are praying for. You're, you're using your gifts. Man, praise God if that's where you are right now. But maybe for others, maybe your soul just feels beat up. Right? Maybe, maybe it's because it is so burdened. And, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? There, there, there are godly burdens that, that we carry at least for a time. But are you taking that burden to God, right? Are you saturating that, that burden in prayer? Uh, maybe your soul is, is just barely hanging in, right? You didn't want to come to church today because you, you just feel so discouraged or hurt or, or beat up. Or maybe for you, it's not even discouragement. Maybe, maybe your soul just, man, you're just a moment away from anger all of the time. And maybe you know why, or, or maybe you don't know why. Or maybe your soul is tattered 
because of choices you keep making, right? Because of sin you keep running to. And I'm not, I'm not saying that our soul only is, is, is tattered when we, when we are, are steeped in sin, but I guarantee you that when you are steeped in sin, man, it wrecks you. But whatever state your soul is in, what will it take to strengthen it? What, what, what do you need the Lord to do? A little over a year ago, my soul was uh, exhausted. Um, and I, I knew, uh, we all know, right? We know the things that are good for us. And some of those things I kind of half-heartedly did. And, and, and some I, I just avoided altogether. Right? At that time, I, I was not letting people in. Or I actually was sneakier than that. I was letting people in just far enough. Right? So they, they, I was putting up smoke screens because I didn't want to deal with pain. I didn't want to deal with fear. For the first time in my life, I was, I was experiencing anxiety um, almost daily. Um, and I was just trying to uh, avoid uh, all of those things. And, and, and guess what? My avoidance didn't work. <laughs> um, God is so gracious to us. He is gracious with me. And there are a number of variables um, in that for me. Uh, one was my wife, Lynn's just persistently loving me. I also had friends that uh, I thought my smoke screens were pretty good. I had friends that saw right through those. Um, there were people praying for me. God made it clear that, that my ways just were not working, right? That, that, that it was not going to get better unless, unless the Lord did work in me. So uh, he, he did a number of things. I won't, I won't talk about all of them, but man, there, there are believers I met that encouraged me that I hadn't known before. Um, Matt, our youth pastor, went behind my back to the elders and told uh, them that he thought I needed to see a counselor, and he was right. Um, my counselor was, was great. Uh, she loves the Lord. She pointed me she pointed me to Christ through Scripture. She, she helped me identify all these ways. I was just so stuck. Um, anyway, I, I could go on and on, but there, there was this confluence of, of, of God's healing care for my heart. So I, I just ask you today, like, what does your soul need? If your soul is, is beat up for any reason, I would encourage you, don't leave this building today without asking someone to pray for you. Right? And maybe you don't even have to get into whatever's going on, but, but ask them to pray for you, even if you really don't want them to. I ask you, would you do that today? But back to Paul and Barnabas. So they're strengthening the souls of, uh, of these newer believers. And then you also notice that, that they, were, uh, they were encouraging them to continue in the faith, right? Saying that, that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul says, this is a reality for Jesus' followers. Life is hard. And my guess is everyone in the room here knows that, right? To different degrees, we all know that life is hard. Following Jesus is hard. When we think about these early believers, what, what, by them coming to know Christ, by them placing their faith in Christ, Man, this is a hostile environment there, and it puts a target on their back, right? If, if Paul could be threatened with death, if, he, if they could throw stones at him, man, they could do it to them too. And like so many Christians in, in, in persecuted countries today, man, there's much to lose. Right? They could lose their friends. Their family could reject them. They could lose opportunities or, or, or jobs. They might endure threats or beatings 
uh, they, they may lose their life or, or a loved one may lose their life. But look at who their instructor is. Right? God, God gave them Paul. Who better to tell them what it would be like? Right? He lived both the role of the persecutor and the persecuted. Right? He's, he's able to speak about persecution from both sides. What a coach to have in your corner. We need, to, we need to realize, we need to hear from Paul, we need to hear from Christ that life is going to be hard. There is a spiritual battle. It is real. There is an enemy who wants to tear us apart. He wants to discourage you. He wants to lull you into apathy. He wants to distract you. He wants us to beat each other up. He wants us to run back to sin. He wants you to throw in the towel. He doesn't fight fair. He wants nothing more than to strike fear in you. In the Christian life, we will have trouble. We will endure hardships. We'll face tragedy. We'll face loss. Um, People that you love, your, your very spouse might do the dumbest, most selfish thing ever. We'll see people that we desperately love reject Christ. You might, you might get a diagnosis or, or, or someone in your family might get a diagnosis that comes out of nowhere or worse yet, there's no diagnosis, no time to even say goodbye. But there will be times where it is so hard to follow Jesus. And these missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, tell them, hang on, hang on till the end. Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you will have troubles, but take heart for I've overcome the world. Paul and Barnabas are encouraging these believers, continue in the faith. It's going to be hard. The road will not be easy. They want them to remain in Jesus. And, and, and I can't help but wonder if, if one of their key trainings was, was telling them of Jesus' words that John would end up recording in John 15 to, to abide in Jesus or remain in Christ. So who might God be inviting you today to encourage to continue in Christ? And what Christians are you praying for? Maybe it's a believer that, that you haven't seen in a long time or, or maybe you realize they're, they're not going to any church. Man, would he, is he putting them on your heart to reach out to them, to pray for them? We, we've got to be praying for one another. Verse 23, we see that, the, the, that they uh, appointed elders right, in every church. This is, like I said, a, a pioneer work. So there weren't churches. These, these new faith communities, these churches need to be started. They need structure. They need leadership. And, and it says with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. So this, this missions work that, that Paul and Barnabas were doing, uh, they, it, it was absolutely necessary that they help these new believers integrate into the church. Um, this, this brand new church. And, and Paul and Barnabas understood that, uh, that, that in order for the church to succeed, the church needed leadership, so they put, uh, they put elders in place, those who were to care for their souls, those who would, would teach them scripture, those who would encourage them in Jesus, who would look after them. 
and, and we see what they do as they establish these elders. It says uh, they did this with, with prayer and fasting. And, and several weeks ago, I, I said kind of offhand, like, man, it keeps talking about fasting. At some point, we need to talk about fasting in one of these passages. Well, today's the day. Um, fasting was, uh, was a regular aspect that we've seen in the early church. So fasting normally um, involves uh, going without food for a period of time. You, you could fast in other ways, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but, but fasting without food is, is what we normally think of. Uh, and not eating gives us this tangible reminder of how much we need God. Um, if you eat three meals a day, or if you're a grazer, it's different, I suppose. But um, we have, in our, in our daily routine, we have this reminder, if we're paying attention to it this way, we have this reminder from God, hey, you need something outside of yourself. You need something outside of yourself to fuel you, to sustain you, right? We realize uh, when we're fasting that we, we are not self-sufficient. I just think how gracious of God to give us this, this super basic reminder each and every day uh, of how we need to hunger for him, right? We need God to provide for us. We need God to come through. We, we cannot only depend on ourselves, and when you fast, you find, or I find, that it is a very humbling experience. Uh, I realize in, in much greater detail how weak I am, how quickly I want a snack. Uh, when I fast, uh, I get pretty tired. I get lethargic. Uh, I don't think I get grumpy, but I should probably ask people around me. Um, uh, one weird thing I, I realized is, is that I get cold when I fast. So I, like I always uh, bring like a, a fleece and I end up drinking like hot tea all throughout the day. When Jesus gave uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he, he, said, he said to them, when you fast, right? This assumption that, that his, his people would fast, this is what we do. So here's, I'm just going to rattle off like biblical uh, reasons that we see uh, behind fasting. Um, uh, fasting uh, to strengthen the, the earnest prayers. Uh, fasting, seeking God's guidance. We, we see fasting uh, for deliverance or for protection. Uh, we see fasting connected with humbling ourselves before God um, or expressing repentance or grief. Uh, we see fasting uh, for concern over his work that he is doing. Uh, we see fasting for uh, overcoming temptation and, and dedicating uh, ourselves to him. Um, or best of all, we see fasting as, as uh, expressing our love and devotion to him. But, but fasting, spiritual fasting, Christian fasting, I should say, always has a purpose. And here in Acts 14, it's, it's in the, the, the establishment, uh, the establishing of uh, leaders, elders in this church, praying for God's guidance and blessing in this church as, as this new faith community is, is growing. Um, by no means am I the example of, uh, of godly fasting. Um, but when I do fast, I, uh, I try to, or I do have it, um, it's around a theme uh, of some sort. So recently, I was aware of a friend who's going through major difficulty from my vantage point. It just looked like a spiritual attack. So um, uh, a couple of us uh, got together. I messaged a couple of friends. I said, hey, I think we need to pray and fast for, uh, for this guy. And uh, we, we weren't able to gather together to pray, but where we were individually, we, we were praying and, and fasting for this guy for, uh, for a 24-hour period. Um, when I fast, um, part of the structure for me is anytime I'm hungry, I pray. 
Um, it's certainly what, what would be normally mealtime. Uh, instead, since I'm not eating, I, I pray during that time, and, and you'll be shocked at how many times you, you think about food, you want food. Uh, for, for a couple years, I had a fasting uh, partner, and he's, he's moved on, so we, we, don't, uh, we don't fast anymore together, but we, uh, we would look at the calendar, and, and we'd pick a, a day in the month, sometimes two days in the month, where we would fast and pray together, and we'd always have a theme to our fast, right? A lot of times, it, it was surrounded, uh, it was about global missions, or sometimes it was the persecuted church, sometimes it was, it, it was our church here uh, that, that we, would, we would fast and pray for, um, and here's, here's how it started. Uh, we were at uh, Mission Connection together. If you don't know what Mission Connection is, it's, uh, it's a free missions conference. It's in January. I want to say it's like the 21st this year. Um, and, and during one of the sessions, um, someone said something about fasting. It wasn't even like a big point in the session. Um, but as we're driving back from Mission Connection, he turned to me and he said, do you ever fast? And I just said, man, not, not much. Um, and then some time went by, and, and I looked at him. I said, you want to fast together? And he said, yep. And it was that simple. <laughs> like we, 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 uh, we, we listened to some sermons about fasting. We, we got some articles that were sent in to each other, and then, and then we started fasting. And, and it, was, it was just a, a day-long fast. You can do longer than that, certainly. Uh, you could also go shorter, right? If you're like, man, there's no way I can fast 24 hours. You could just say, hey, I'm fasting during lunch today. Right? I'm just going to set aside this lunch just to, just to pray about whatever this, this thing is. Um, if, if you do like long, long fasts, you should talk to a medical expert about that. I know someone that attempted a 40-day fast, and it, it was not good uh, for him. He did, he did not really know what he was getting into. Um, I, I'm sure that, that, that we have some people in our church that fasting just medically for you not a good plan. Uh, there are other things that, that you can fast from. It could be TV. Uh, it could be um, e even working or driving without music or a podcast, right? Not, like not having any external noise going on. It could be fasting from social media or, or, or fasting from your phone, right? Imagine that. If you prayed every time you'd do a pickup normally, that's a lot of prayer. <laughs> that's what we should all do. Um, anyway, we, we could talk more about fasting. I'll end with this quote, though, and then and we'll get back into our passage. Um, this person wrote, We fast from what we can see and taste because we have tasted and seen the goodness of the invisible and infinite God and are desperately hungry for more of him. Uh, November 6th is uh, International uh, Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Uh, that's a Sunday. Um, as a staff, we were talking about how do, we, how do we participate in that this year. We're certainly going to have uh, a time of prayer during our service. This is next, next Sunday. We'll have a time of prayer during our service, but we're also inviting anyone that wants to uh, to spend some time uh, on Monday uh, fasting and, and praying. And we're going to have a prayer time here during the lunch hour for anyone that, that can make it uh, on November 7th. But even even if you can't make it, you can do it on your own, whether it's all day fast, whether it's part of the day, but, uh, but I'm inviting you to do that and, and look for uh, some details, uh, some resources this week in, in an email. Let's pick up, though, back in, in uh, verse 24 of chapter 14. Thank you for letting me talk about fasting for a while. Not that you had a choice. Um, all right. Uh, it says, Then they passed through Pisidia and came to uh, Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, and again, right, like they've spoken the word, they're preaching the gospel, they're explaining the gospel. Okay, then uh, they went down to Attilia, and, uh, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended, right, this is their sending church, commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, 
and gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Right, so eventually they end up back with uh, their sending church in Antioch. And they gathered the church together so that they could report on, on what God had done. And there's multiple observations we can make in, in these short few verses here, but, but I want to point out just a couple. Right? We see that, that they, uh, they had work that they fulfilled. Right? Missions work is not easy. Right? They, they had long, hard days of, of sharing the gospel, explaining the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, lots of conversations, right? Eventually, some came to know Christ, and they're meeting with these new believers, right? They're, they're gathering with these new churches, getting them going. They're meeting with these new church leaders. Certainly, they're, they're praying together. They're fasting, right? They're, they're planning out what it is that these young believers need in order to grow in Christ, to strengthen their souls, and they walked mile after mile to these cities. They sailed a ton of miles as well. Right, not to mention also the physical danger, the abuse that they endured. Missions work is hard. Right? And that should not come as a surprise. But it says they fulfilled this work. Right? They evangelized. They helped baby Christians grow into this new way of, of living in Christ, this new life in Christ. They started new churches, right? these new faith communities. They integrated these new disciples into these new churches. And look at verse 27. Right? They, they, they get back home. They gather the church. So evidently there was a place big enough for their sending church to gather and they reported what happened. They, they told them, right? They, they said, look what God had done with them, is how Luke says it, and how he'd opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Right? Kingdom work happens because God works in and through his servants. Right? It wasn't that, uh, that Paul and Barnabas were inexperienced, so they needed more help. No, at this point, Paul has over a decade of ministry experience. Barnabas, even more than that, right? They had, they had trained disciples. They had evangelized. They would worked with church leaders. They were both seasoned, right? Nobody was better at encouraging disciples than Barnabas. No, it, it is always God who must be at work for kingdom work to happen. Right? We cannot change hearts. We cannot convince someone to believe in Jesus. No, it is, it is, we are called by God and he uses us. We are with him, just as Esther and Kim knew. She knew that she needed God to lead her cellmates and, and these guards to Christ. So as Paul and Barnabas told story after story, and, and no doubt way more than Luke tells us, right? They certainly told about individuals that came to know Christ, families that came to know Christ, who knows the, the stories of opposition that they told. But they were quick to make sure that their church knew that this was God that had done this. This was God that had, had done this uh, with them, uh, that he was the one working. So no matter how much experience we come to Christ with, right? No matter, no matter how much skill we bring to the table, it is God who saves. It is God who grows disciples. It is God who strengthens. It is God who blesses churches, plants churches, blesses ministries. He's the one that reaches new peoples. 
Right? They knew that it was God working with them and opening doors for the Gentiles to come to know Jesus. Pastor Gary told me a, a story just a couple weeks ago of an Iranian woman. I'm going to mess up her name. Um, I'm going I'm to try and pronounce it as uh, Mahin. Um, her and her husband were Christians. Uh, her husband had been arrested uh, for his faith in Christ, and she she feared, too, that she would be uh, soon arrested. So she began praying. But her prayers uh, were not, Lord, strengthen me. Give me what I need. Instead, her prayers were more flavored along the lines of, God, I can't do this. Right? She, she knew she wasn't tough. Um, she was afraid of, of solitary confinement in a tiny, dirty, closed cell. Um, she was convinced that that would be more that she could handle. She told God, God, I was brought up in a wealthy family, in a comfortable environment. I can't do this. She told God that she was sure that if she was interrogated for her faith, that, that she, would, she, would, she wouldn't want to, but she would give up the names of believers, that, that she, would, she would end up telling where believers are gathering to worship him. She was convinced that she would not be able to stand up for God. Well, the secret police came knocking at her door uh, a few days later. And she knew it was them, and she prayed again. She, she said, God, I told you, I'm not capable. And essentially she said, so whatever happens, it's on you. And, and she was arrested. The, it, says that, uh, it says the police blindfolded her and, and took her to solitary confinement. She said, I was scared to death and felt sick as the place was very smelly. And they put her in a cell for a few hours and then later brought her in for interrogation. And she said, I sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit very strongly, and I felt that God's peace came down on me, and my fear went away. So when she went in and stood before this high official, she courageously testified about Christ. Right? She, she said, it is an honor for me to talk to people about Jesus. I'll be very happy to talk to you about Jesus and salvation too. Like all other people and Muslims, you also need Jesus in your life. Without Jesus, she said, a person does not have any peace and life is hopeless and without any purpose. Jesus laid down his life for you too so that you can have salvation and will not perish. And the official responded in anger, yelling at her, do you know what the consequences of all this will be for you? You can't evangelize me. It will cost you a heavy price. And he stormed out. Three days later, that same official came back to her cell and, and she was frightened, right, fearing that, that he was going to abuse her physically or sexually. But the official came in and he said, don't be afraid of me. I need your prayers. He said, when you shared about Jesus with me, it had such a powerful impact on my life. I needed to be saved. I need Jesus in my life. I believe God has sent you to come to this prison so that you can share with me about salvation. I'm completely aware of the fact that without Jesus, I will be a miserable and hopeless person and I will perish. Please pray for me that I can be set free from this hell that I live in. So she went on for the next several hours to tell this man about Jesus who, who, who received Christ on that day. And, and uh, Mahin and her husband were eventually freed from prison and, and they are still in touch with this official and his wife, although in secret, and even the wife has come to know Christ as Lord too. Praise God. And, and we, we um, maybe look at the passage today and you're like, 
Can we just tack that on uh, to last week's passage? And, and yes, obviously, it's a continuation of last week's passage, but I wanted to spend more time thinking. I want to spend more time talking about missions work. I, I wanted us to see God at work through his people. Right, right. It, is, it is good to know that we're weak. It is good to know that, that we, we can do nothing without him. Right, Paul didn't get up after they tried to kill him because he was some superhero. God strengthened him. He was with him. So, so whether it's missions work across the world or, or you telling your friend about Jesus, we do not do this on our own. God does this. He does it with us. Right? He, he empowers us to speak about him. So let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, and we need to be reminded, I need to be reminded over and over again that, that apart from you, I can do nothing. Lord, I, I'm, I'm pretty aware of, uh, uh, of all the things I'm not good at. Um, and and kind of like Mahin, Lord, I, sometimes I feel like yeah, I, there's no way, God, you could use me. God, I, I apologize. I confess, we confess for all the ways that we doubt you, Lord all the ways that, that we, um, we diminish in our minds and our hearts, even through our words, your power. Lord, we, we ask that, that you would raise up labors for the harvest, Lord, that you would raise, up, raise us up, Lord, to speak about you, Jesus. And, and for some in this room, I wonder, like, will someday that mean them going overseas? right? Doing, doing missions work overseas, maybe even pioneer missions work, I don't know. Lord, certainly, certainly we need you to use it, or we want you, we're asking that you would use us here as well, Lord, that, that you, you would take us wherever it is you want us to go, whether it's, whether it's to our friend across the street or, or to, a, to a distant land, Lord. God, would you help us to follow you? God, would you grow us in sharing about you? Lord, would we just be so in love with you? Would we be so taken by your love for us that we cannot help but speak about you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. It is in your holy name we pray. Amen.